Welcome to the Primal Blueprint Podcast, featuring fresh and lively commentary on all things Primal, including Q&A sessions with Primal Blueprint founder, Mark Sisson, special guest interviews hosted by Mark Sisson, and conversations with Primal Blueprint authors and other health and fitness experts. The show is presented by Damage Control, Master Formula, the world's most potent multivitamin, mineral, antioxidant, anti-aging supplement. Available at primalblueprint.com. Past episodes are available for download or to review written summaries at blog.primalblueprint.com. And now, here's your host, Brad Kearns. Hello, listeners. And today we have a wonderful, very special guest, Ben Greenfield. Welcome for the first time to the Primal Blueprint podcast, Ben. I feel pretty honored to be called both wonderful and very special. That's well, you that's know, making me we, feel pretty uh, special. We have uh, really liked your stuff and been associating with you for a while now. You and Mark have been, you know, exchanging uh, great communication because of we had gone to PrimalCon Tulum last March. That was your first primal group experience. Tell us uh, how things went down there in Tulum, Mexico. Mexico is pretty cool, and actually, to Tulum, I really liked. You know, my most of my time in Mexico has been spent with brief forays off of cruise ships into questionable areas of town, and also uh, having my watch and my debit card stolen in Tijuana. So um, you can only go up from there. And Tulum was a pretty cool experience, uh, I got to say, playing on the beach and doing the, uh, the, the workouts out there in the mornings and, uh, yeah, the, the speakers and everything. Like, I, th- I thought it was great. I just need to make it to another Primal Con now. Yeah, so what we had down there was a kind of a casual uh, vacation-type experience, but after spending all that time out in the fun in the sun, we retreated to the... Uh, lecture hall air-conditioned spot for a series of afternoon lectures and you came through with a big one and um, one of my favorite things about your your style and that particular presentation is it was just rapid fire man you were sending off so many tips and tricks and nuances about performance and recovery and um, your book beyond training is uh, of a similar style where it just goes into tremendous detail on an assortment of topics, but I, I guess um, it seems like your big picture is how to support and promote health when you're pursuing uh, ambitious athletic and fitness goals. Yeah, exactly. How to strike that ideal balance between health and performance, right? How to view life through the lens of maybe not just uh, ticking off the box or putting a notch in your belt of whatever, an Ironman or you know, going to the CrossFit games or, you know, doing a, a Spartan race or whatever, but also trying to live as long as possible and be as healthy as possible on the inside, not just the outside while you're doing those things. So that's kind of what I'm, I'm big on these days. And I've kind of started to, to think more that way about my performance. It seems like about the time my kids were born when I realized that I really did want to be around there for them, you know, as long as possible and be able to see my grandkids hit a home run. And all of a sudden I, I started to get a little bit more serious about figuring out ways to continue to do the type of grueling endurance feats that I like to do, but to do so while doing as little damage as possible to my body. 
Yeah, I, I, I relate, man, because I was on the professional tri circuit for nine years, as you know. And now looking back as a father and having all this, you know, perspective, uh, having been removed from the uh, the racing for almost 20 years now, um, I think back to some of my favorite workouts, which were um, drafting the city buses in downtown Sacramento and trying to, <laughs> you know, trying to hang for 11 miles through all the all the green lights and um, just, you know, at the whisker of uh, cheating death or descending the hills in Nice at the annual Nice triathlon, like, you know, um, you're, you're either going to catch the guy or fly off the edge of the cliff. And some of those decisions need to be recalibrated when you step back and look at the big picture. Yeah. And I mean, what, even if you're not chasing a city bus or, or bombing down the slopes of France, you know, you can just by structuring your training unintelligently or, you know, by, by fueling the wrong way during exercise or perhaps by not, not tapping into smart training and training smarter versus training harder, kind of do the same thing, you know, just kill yourself, uh, albeit a little bit more slowly than getting hit by a bus. But it's still, you know, just, just, uh, just a, another example of a way that you can be pursuing performance in the absence of simultaneously pursuing health goals. Uh, so I'm excited to get into that a little bit, and I'm, I'm also excited to have you on the show because we get to tease Brock Armstrong. <laughs> um, and I got to thank you, man, because you gave us this referral of this guy in Canada at Frozen Puck, and we're like, okay, that's pretty trippy, and he turns out to be the most amazing, multi-talented, sound engineer, <laughs> podcast host. He's now the narrator. I don't know if you know that. He narrates all of Mark's Daily Apple's yeah. daily posts into a podcast so you can basically listen to Mark's Daily Apple nowadays thanks to Brock. So um, let's try to make a bunch of mistakes and <laughs> burping sounds so he really has to work hard to process this this show. I'll drop as many F-bombs as possible to, <laughs> to keep Brock busy. And yeah, Brock's, Brock's been uh, the, the faithful podcast sidekick host at Ben Greenfield Fitness for like two years now. And, and yeah, he's great. So hi, Brock. Hi, Brock. And let's have a moment of silence for the sound engineer to get his mixing correct. <laughs> okay, thank you, listeners, for participating. Yes, that was deep and meaningful. <laughs> uh, so Mark and I are standing back here many, many years removed from the scene, the tri-scene, and you're right in the thick of it now. Let's talk about your observations of how things have progressed in the in the technology side and also in the the general physiological side of training methods and prevailing thoughts about how to do these extreme uh, high-intensity sports. Mm. Yeah, I mean that that's obviously a loaded question, just just because it's you know it's, it's gone all sorts of ways. But I mean, stepping back and looking at a big picture, the amazing thing is that the folks riding their their twelve to fifteen thousand dollar bikes down the down the Queen K Highway at, at Ironman Hawaii, you know, the Super Bowl of triathlon, the World Championships on the Big Island, they're not going that much faster than some of the guys, you know, like Mark Allen and Dave Scott on their old steel bikes did back in the day. Um, you know, they're, they're, they're going as fast or slightly faster, maybe not even working quite as hard because they are able to access a, a little bit better training technology, a little bit more aerodynamic technology. But I think that, um, kind of old school triathlon seemed to have a little bit more of a propensity to just like, 
dig into the pain cave, dig deep, go hard, beat up the body as hard as possible, keep your fingers crossed that it bounced back and, you know, the person who didn't didn't crack first would win. And I do think that people now are training a little bit more intelligently. You've, you've got, you know, no offense, Brad, um, <laughs> but you've got folks using things like, uh, you know, rest-wise and heart rate variability now to track things like everything from hydration status to heart rates to weight to heart rate variability to to blood panels and athletes are getting a little bit more tuned to that process or at least their coaches are and and i'm starting to see that more in the industry people are beginning to get a little bit more into the health aspects so there, there certainly are companies such as power bar and, and gatorade etc who are still at the forefront of endorsed nutrition but you know, people really are realizing that you can get through a race on something like, you know, chia seeds and amino acids and, and a little bit of raw honey versus maltodextrin, fructose and frankenfuels. And I think that nutrition is progressing a, a little bit as well. And then, of course, you know, as far as, you know, uh, training tools to enhance physiology, you know, such as using uh, you know, hypoxic training chambers and, you know, elevation training masks and, um, you know, power cranks, which are like independently functioning bike cranks that allow you to, t- to train your, your efficiency and economy, your pedaling stroke a little bit better um, to freaking, you know, front mounted snorkels to focus on your swim uh, efficiency without having to focus on breathing. Like there's all sorts of new training tools now that have popped up that I think make things a little bit easier too. So, you know, it kind of, kind of spans the gamut. Uh, the idea of training smarter obviously is, is huge. And in our day without the, the high tech elements or the, the breakthroughs such as with things like heart rate variability, it was left to, in my opinion, um, who was who was the most intuitive and who was the most in touch with what their body really needed. And that was someone who could suppress the demands of the ego and the competitiveness instincts that were misaligned with, um, you know, the, the proper decision for that particular training day and could harness those competitive instincts into race. Um, and so my sense is that none of that aforementioned is high tech. And it still seems like there could be a place for just a, a sensible, natural type of approach in, in complement to all the, all the new tools. Yeah, and that's what I try and strike the balance uh, with is, you know, for example, you could be using self-quantification devices, whether you're a triathlete or a biohacker or a general fitness enthusiast all day long these days, you know, uh, Bluetooth enabled devices that allow you to consistently measure breath rate, perspiration, heart rate, heart rate variability, skin temperature, you name it. But there's two issues with that. The first is that I'm simply not a fan of being tied down to Bluetooth signals all day long. Yes, they are a less potentially damaging signal to the electrochemical gradient of your cells than say something like Wi-Fi from a cell phone or like a microwave signal from a microwave in your kitchen. But there's still a signal that I have yet to feel comfortable about having on my body 24 seven. So I, like I use a, I use a heart rate variability measurement tool, but I do it for five minutes every morning. And then that's, that's it. That's my use of Bluetooth technology for the day. 
Um, the other reason is that just because like I'm a blogger, I'm a podcaster. I know a lot of listeners probably work on computers during the day. They probably work with technology. They stare at screens. They, they're, they're, um, handcuffed to technology during the day. And sometimes it's nice to just cut yourself free at the end of the day or at the beginning of the day and go do your workout, um, you know, combat style basically with, without being tied down to technology too much. And so, I do think that there's a benefit to listening to your body, but I like to get a little bit of both, right? I like to to check in, get my heart rate variability in the morning, do my quantification that way, do most of my training sessions without being tied down to technology. And then occasionally when I have like a key session where I really want to say like, do uh, uh, once every two weeks, like a test to measure my power at lactate threshold. So I want to use a power meter or I want to, to measure during a track session what my, my anaerobic heart rate is, right? Like, like where my threshold heart rate is so that I can get a, a feel for how that's progressing. Like there are certain situations in which technology can come in handy, but I think it's, it's a delicate marriage between listening to your body and using all the technology and the self-quantification tools that we have available to us nowadays wisely. That's a great point, Ben, and, and that marriage that uh, all the athletes can think about. Here's what I think or have found, there's, there's one element of, uh, in terms of making the best training decision. When you feel lousy, you, you, don't, you don't push yourself. You back off. That's pretty simple. And any idiot who overrides that subjective feeling of, of not being sharp that day um, is going to go dig their own grave, right? But the, the other nuanced side that I had a lot of struggle with in my own career, and I know a lot of athletes do, is sometimes... You feel great, but you should slow down, back off, take breaks because what you are is in a hyper-aroused state from chronic production of cortisol. And sometimes you wake up on those mornings, you're not sore, you're pumped up because you have all these competitive ambitions and you go out there and push yourself harder and harder when if you had some of these high-tech signals or some uh, you know, scientific feedback, it would tell you, hey, man, you're burning fumes right now. Yeah, absolutely. And and that's, you know, that's why and I know you guys have talked about it before on Mark's Daily Apple, you know, that's why I like measurements of the nervous system, like heart rate variability to tell you something like that, that you are actually running on fumes and that perhaps the excitedness that you have about the day's training is just a bit of adrenergic stimulation and maybe some, you know, some cortisol from uh, being excited about the previous day's training or about the the race that you have coming up in a couple of weeks or whatever, when in fact your nervous system is just about to be tanked, and that's why doing doing something like a measurement frequently is pretty useful because you can you can see trends right right like like you can see downward trends. Me logging in and checking my heart rate variability once a week doesn't do me much good versus seeing what it's doing on a Monday through a Friday training routine. So, yeah, absolutely. Self-quantification tools can come in super-duper handy in that type of situation. Uh, if you listeners have not read the recent post at Mark's Daily Apple on heart rate variability or not read Ben's great commentary on Ben Greenfield Fitness, Ben, give us a, a short version with the promise that I want to come back and do an entire show with you on that subject because it's such a cool breakthrough and Mark and I are really getting interested and just started measuring ourselves and, and plotting our course from, you know, being so far out of the loop for so long. Yeah. Um, you mean in terms of how I use HRV or? 
Yeah, and just a, yeah. a basic quick description for someone who's unfamiliar with that term. Oh, yeah. I mean, well, basically what it comes down to is that your your sympathetic fight and flight and your parasympathetic rest and digest branches of your nervous system actually stimulate your heart via the vagus nerve. And the stimulation from both branches of the from from both of those nervous system branches can be measured. And the way that it's measured is by measuring the amount of time that's spent between each beat of your heart or what's called your heart rate variability. And in an ideal, well-recovered scenario, you'd like a nice, robust, high heart rate variability that shows slight beat-to-beat fluctuations in terms of the amount of time spent between each beat of your heart. And when that's fluctuating around, it means that you've got a well-tuned nervous system that's responding to, to micro-changes in your environment, in your, uh, in your stressors, in your attitude, and, and your thought patterns, and, and your conscious and, and subconscious emotions. And when heart rate variability is just constant and low, uh, what that means is that your nervous system is generally beat up. And you can dig into this even more. Like you can look at your sympathetic nervous system and you can see, for example, using something called a, a low frequency number, which is one of the numbers that you, that you see measured when you analyze heart rate variability, a low low frequency number can mean that your sympathetic nervous system is overtrained and you've been doing too much intensity. Whereas a low high frequency number can mean that your parasympathetic nervous system is overtrained and that you've been doing too much aerobic volume. And so you can, you can even make educated training decisions on the day based off of what branch of your nervous system appears to be more robust. And often in an athlete who is doing a combination of strength and endurance, which is quite common these days, you'll see that, you know, heart rate variability is just low and both branches are tanked. And that's your, you know, that's your yoga day. That's your, your easy swim day or your sauna day or whatever other method of active recovery that you like to do. And it's really not that complex. What you're going to find is that if you're generally following a similar routine, like let's say you've got a, a Monday through a Friday split where Monday, Wednesday, Friday, you've got cardio intervals and Tuesday and Thursday, you're doing strength training and Saturday, you've got a, a decent bike ride or a run and Sunday, maybe you've got a swim and a yoga session. You're going to find that as you go through the week, you'll notice how your heart rate variability is responding in consistent patterns from week to week. And you can make micro adjustments. Like you might find that, oh, I just that Wednesday is not doing it for me. I, I think that I should do two interval sessions per week, Monday and Friday, and maybe turn Wednesday into uh, an easy short aerobic session or yoga, or maybe even like, you know, 45 minutes of mobility work or, or something that is less stressful. And then all of a sudden your heart rate variability tends to be consistently high from week to week. So once you start measuring, then it becomes a matter of kind of playing with your training scenario to find the scenario that gives you the most rest with the final caveat being that you don't always want to be well recovered because the only way to get super fit is to super compensate. So sometimes you do want to dig yourself into that corner of low heart rate variability, even if it's just for a few (laughs) days so that you bounce back. And that's where it becomes a little bit of a science, you know, and that's where like two to four weeks out from a key event, you kind of do want to be beat up so that when you rest, you super compensate. So it's not necessarily trying to achieve a consistent high heart rate variability year round, but it's having a high heart rate variability most of the time and then having those occasional periods of time where you do feel pretty beat up so that you can bounce back even harder. 
Oh, that's a good point. And I, it might be uh, overlooked in many cases that the, the process of fitness, especially if you harbor ambitious competitive goals, is uh, once in a while or, or maybe more frequently than that, you're going you're gonna to slam yourself. And Mark and I, uh, we like to banter about this all the time and how rudimentary my own uh, training methods were back in the day um, and how many times I became overtrained and performed poorly. And, you know, my, my number of victories on the pro circuit matched my number of DNFs of races that I had to drop out because I was just so fried even at the starting mm. line. And, yeah. you know, I speculate that um, it's very difficult to get onto the top of the podium and that requires that you push it beyond the limits and training sometimes, and that comes with a very high risk. Yeah. So yep. if someone, you know, if someone offered you a million dollars to finish the Hawaii Ironman in under fifteen hours in with the two weeks of training, you could probably do it. Hey, you just <laughs> did do that, right? But if they yep. said if it was uh, trying to go faster for the million dollars, you would be out there banging yourself and it would be a crash and burn effort because maybe you'd do it, maybe you wouldn't, but you'd have to, you'd have to push yourself to the limit in training to even have a, have a chance. Yep, absolutely. And that, that was an interesting experience that I, did, that I just had, uh, eight days ago racing Ironman on two weeks of training. And that was one of those deals where I, I hadn't been training for Ironman. I've just been doing Spartan racing and obstacle racing. I got a call out of the blue from Team Timex, who I race for, offering me the Timex slot to the race and saying that it'd be an interesting story to find out whether or not the human body can do an Ironman or how fast the human body could do an Ironman without actually training for one and how it would feel. So that was my most recent experience. And um, I definitely erred towards the side of getting my heart rate variability as high as humanly possible prior to that race. And when I got the call from, from Timex, I just finished racing the Spartan World Championships. And so I was already pretty beat up. And I basically spent 14 days doing very, very little training at all. Right, even though I was tempted to do panic training and go out and start pounding the pavement and, you know, hop on the Euro bike and begin riding and, and getting in <laughs> swim sessions. And that was my initial plan. I was like, okay, go hardcore triathlon training for two weeks. I, I like that term. Yeah. Ben. That's that's a new one. You could trademark that. Welcome to Bren, yeah. Ben Greenfield's Panic Training Podcast. Yeah. Here we are to talk about. Yeah. Exactly. But the problem was I was paying attention to my heart rate variability. And I knew that I would I would arrive uh, in Hawaii sick and beat up because my heart rate variability was already low. I had I would have no business going into an intense triathlon training protocol for two weeks. So I ditched that plan and I instead did yoga, massage, sauna, a lot of time with like lacrosse balls and and massage sticks during the time I'd normally be exercising. I just did mobility work. Did some very, very easy swimming, like hypoxic sets back and forth underneath the water, just kind of swimming really, really relaxed without thrashing at all. And basically just kind of moved and did a lot of self-mobility work. I did a couple of acupuncture uh, sessions um, and you know several massages, like I mentioned, and just did a bunch of TLC for two weeks and tried to... to, to get my body going into Ironman almost like, you know, more undertrained than overtrained and um wound up just having a 
having a kind of an easy day. It was like I got to the to the twenty mile mark of the marathon after the 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 swim and the bike ride, and I had a ton of gas left in the tank um, and felt great crossing the finish line. And I think part of that was because I I did pay attention, you know, some of those self quantification variables that we just got to talking about and kind of opted towards the route of over recovering rather than than panic training. Yeah, and I think this approach, well, obviously, it's great advice for every single person on the starting line should have shadowed you for those final two weeks because those are when mistakes are, are made and no gains are made. Only mistakes can be made uh, when, you, when you do that panic training in the end. But yeah. your, the, your approach echoes the, the, the primal theme of uh, that, that our bodies are capable of magnificent feats when we take good care of it when we sleep enough, when we have good nutrition. And obviously you have a background of endurance where you could tap into your genetic potential to complete the event without optimal preparation. And I think um, it, it's, it's probably not as well respected as it should be, our, our ability as humans to come out and deliver peak performance without necessarily having to day after day after day clock in and do a workout lest we get out of shape. And I'm sure you're familiar with, yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, uh, Tim Noakes talks about this in his book, Waterlogged. Um, Daniel Lieberman in his book, The Evolution of the Human Body. Uh, It's covered a little bit in the book Born to Run. Um, There there are a few other authors and and, articles that have delved into this whole idea that, you know, the human body has a pretty high amount of mitochondrial density compared to other mammals. We've got a high amount of slow twitch muscles. We've got some really nice hip extensors that allow for efficient gait patterns. We've got the ability to cool ourselves. We have the intelligence and the opposable thumbs to be able to fuel a little bit better than many animals during exercise. And when, when you put a lot of these variables together, what it comes out to is that a human body uninjured and well taken care of for, can go for long periods of time without necessarily having trained as much as we've been led to believe that we need to train in order to go for that period of time. And you know, that, that's always, you know, not just for this minimalist Ironman thing, but always, or at least for the past few years since I've kind of realized the science of this, that's been my method of training is, you know, low-level movement throughout the day. I'm standing at my treadmill workstation right now. Actually, the only reason I'm not walking is because my treadmill makes a little bit of a, a squeak, and I, I don't walk during my actual podcast recordings um, just because we don't want to give the audio engineer a fit. But the uh, all those breaths, yeah. <laughs> those heart rate heart rate variability with the inhales and yes, exhales. My heart rate monitor alarm going off. Um, <laughs> but the the low level physical activity during the day, you know, lifting heavy stuff every once in a while, sprinting, and then doing the the smallest possible amount of training, primarily comprised of high intensity interval training. You know, has always allowed me to get away with with low amounts of training. You know, like last year I did Ironman Canada, and had one of the one of the fastest age group times at Ironman Canada, and that was on eight to ten hours of training per week. But it was using that approach, right? Like I don't count the time that I spend walking or standing at at my treadmill desk, and I don't, you know, I don't count the amount of time I spend cranking out a few pull-ups every time I walk underneath my office door, right? That's just life. And then I stack a little bit of training intelligently at the beginning or at the end of the day on top of that. 
And man, I think I think a lot more people than than we think could go out, you know, if they did live their lives in this healthy way, you know, as or I know as you guys, you know, term the, the primal way, could go out and do some of these grueling feats without necessarily, you know, having to go out and do a two hour, three hour death march on the pavement every weekend to be ready for their for their marathon or whatever. And we know how the highly motivated, goal-driven fitness enthusiast thinks, and they're listening to the podcast and nodding their head in agreement. And my observation is, in real life, people listen and they absorb it and, and they, um, they, they intuit it. And then sometimes the, um, the, the fire burns, the flame burns so brightly that um, they sort of ignore these notions and behave in a manner that tends toward obsessive compulsive or insecure, thinking that uh, in the back of their mind, they know taking a day off is is good, sensible thing to do, but they're afraid to do it um, lest they, they get out of shape or put on a pound or whatever these um, irrational notions are. So I think everyone can sit back and and reference examples like Ben's where perhaps you were, you had a cold for a couple of weeks, you were off exercise and then you came back and at your first swim workout, you were hitting, um, you know, the, the, the best times in the fast lane because you were rested as a, as a component of that or, or set a PR off of easy winter training or any, any sort of such uh, epiphany that occurs when um, you respect the importance of rest. Yep, exactly. And, um, you know, the, the other really important thing that I want to emphasize is rest doesn't mean that you can't put work into your body or feel good about what you've accomplished at the end of the day in terms of making your body better. Meaning that on a rest day, a lot of times I'll go sit in the sauna and read some magazines and get a little bit of heat acclimation, or I might do a little cold thermogenesis by going for a dip in the river. Or I might do some foam rolling or some mobility or, or some yoga, you know, while I'm watching Shark Tank on Hulu. You know, it's just like, you know, it's it's not like by the end of a recovery day, I feel like a fat slob because I do put work into my body and I do get better even on those easy days. But I think a lot of people just need to tap into the reality of, uh, you know, an easy day or recovery day. Um, not necessarily meaning you go out on an aerobic run or an aerobic bike ride or an aerobic swim or an easier weight training session than you normally do. There are other things out there like yoga, mobility, cold thermogenesis, you know, saunas, inversion, you know, like all sorts of things that you can do to, to feel pretty good about yourself and to tap into that need to move, you know, uh, without actually uh, straining your, your nervous system or straining your musculoskeletal system. Well, the elite athletes all do it, and they spend so much time as athletes doing all the bells and whistles and, and the accoutrements, and then the average uh, Joe who's busy and has a hectic lifestyle anyway is sque squeezing in workouts on the go and thereby compromising and possibly um, you know, creating a more stressful workout experience for the same workout just because they rushed over to the, uh, the gym banged out their workout and, and rushed back to the office rather than taking the time to roll out or stretch out at the end. Yeah, yeah, I, I completely um, agree. And speaking of that uh, uh, rolling, on, on one of your podcasts, you mentioned that when you do foam rolling with or, or ball rolling on your abdomen, you can stimulate the parasympathetic nervous system. Uh, you can. It's not something that I've talked about too much before. It's something that 
actually Kelly Starrett recently talked about in his book, Ready to Run. He uses like a soccer ball method to smash the psoas and to work the lower gut and the lower abdomen. But yeah, you can certainly uh, get a pretty cool parasympathetic nervous system and gut effect from doing some some foam rolling on on the abdominal or the gut area. Area, you know, I, I really like that also for folks who tend to get constipated, like a kind of like a left to right mobility type of movement in the lower abs can help quite a bit with that too. So, yeah, I mean, I'm I'm a huge fan of mobility work, not just for recovery, but um, yeah, also for for pooping and stuff like that. How does it help your sore muscles after your workout to get some rolling in? Oh, it does everything from free up areas of knotted tissue and fascial adhesions to improving blood flow to increasing the release of pain-killing endorphins. Um, you know, the, the benefits are are multiple when it comes to that type of stuff. And and I do mobility work every day underneath the couch in the living room. I've got lacrosse balls, foam roller, massage sticks, you name it. And, and, you know, in the morning, a lot of times I'll be visiting with my kids before they're off to school and just sitting there doing mobility work while I'm, while I'm hanging out with my kids as they're eating breakfast. And they're used to seeing dad grimace and squirm around on the living room floor as I, as I hump a foam roller and, and they eat breakfast. So I'm their entertainment. Uh, sometimes it, it's a little painful, but there's even a benefit to, uh, the nervous system by by really grinding in there huh oh yeah absolutely and even even if it if it hurts a little bit with foam rolling you know if, it, if it's kind of like like a deep tissue release type of hurt that's often a it's a good hurt so yeah absolutely um so ben on on this first show uh on our channel i wanted to give listeners a chance to get a general sense of what you're all about and definitely get you back in to get really deep on the the burgeoning subject of heart rate variability. Um, but for, for now, as we, as we're trying to wrap up here, you know, you have this, this masterpiece beyond training, it's 479 pages or something. And there's basically a solution in there for all kinds of <laughs> problems, issues, maladies, or, or pursuing and, and breaking through to higher goals. But one stumbling block I've noticed in People that I know and, and my peer group are all, you know, getting up to um, the big 5-0 right now. All my longtime friends who were, of course, all exceptional athletes back in the day and, and still still think that we're pretty hot stuff. But there's a time crunch and there's even a motivation crunch where um, we're not living and dying by athletic performance anymore. So how does, how does someone uh, get into the proper mindset and also um, get the best bang for their buck if they're trying to stay fit and healthy, avoid uh, chronic pain, and and keep in shape and delay the aging process, you know, I think for the most part, um, you know, Mark's kind of nailed it with his lift heavy stuff and sprint every once in a while and and move every day type of scenario. You know, as far as like a sustainable workout routine, um, you know, especially if if you're training for something more intensive by putting like a, you know, a high intensity cardio interval session in a couple of times a week and, you know, something semi long on a weekend, you know, like a, like a 60 minute trail run or something like that. That's, you know, not, not quite near the level of, of the more voluminous work that, that you'd see in traditional endurance, but still injects a good deal of endurance into the body. Um, you know, as far as sustainability, that that's a really sustainable program. And then like, it's all the little things that add up quickly though, you know, like the morning, like every single morning, 
you know, I get out of bed, I take a cold shower to prime my nervous system, I do my mobility work, I do about 10 to 15 minutes of yoga, and that's just how I start every single day. So if you look at, at my life by the end of the week, you know, I've already amassed, you know, 70 to 80 minutes of yoga and, you know, almost a half hour of, of standing underneath cold water and, you know, another hour or two <laughs> of mobility work and like all this stuff adds up, right? Like the little tiny things that you do every day. And I think it's those small habits and consistent habits that keep you in, in the game for a long time and also building your fitness a little bit more easily than like a structured hectic training session. Uh, so everyone's got a few minutes to hit the cold showers or even do a simple breathing and stretching ritual outdoors for a couple of minutes to start the day and, and prime that nervous system. What exactly do you mean by that? Uh, by what? By priming the nervous system with the cold shower mm. and the yoga. Yeah, doing something slightly slightly uh, hard every day, even something as simple as a cold shower allows you to tap into the power of hormesis, which is that slight stressors actually make your nervous system stronger and more robust and more readily able to handle stress. And that's the idea behind you know cold showers, behind heat exposure, behind training um, you know in insane amounts and um, I, that that didn't sound quite right when I say insane amounts. I meant in space sane amounts. But basically, um, it, it's just a matter of hormesis. And then the the other part of this, uh, in terms of the the yoga, is simply moving, getting the blood flowing, and activating breathing patterns and and rest patterns and kind of de stressing patterns that stick with you the rest of the day. I find that that helps me a ton versus just like launching into emails or articles or, you know, blog posts or things of that nature. If I just take that time to, to recover and relax first. And that's the hard thing. Like the hard thing for me is not doing the hard workout. I actually say that for later in the day. The hard thing for me is doing like the rest, the recovery, the mobility, the yoga, that type of thing. Uh, but it pays off and it's, it's within access to everyone. So when you think about the, the, the guy who has, guy or gal has less time to put in at the gym or on the roads if you if you imagine this pie and threw in some some hormesis type efforts that are very short in duration but can be a wonderful complement to your week and that's one of my favorite things about your your angle and your your whole essence here is that you emphasize all those things rather than just the the macro you know the big stuff on the uh, on the plate of uh, uh, health and fitness Yep, exactly. So, Ben, I really appreciate you joining us. I want the listeners to go over to Ben Greenfield Fitness and check out that podcast, subscribe, um, Beyond Training, the name of his book, available at all the stores, and they even have a website, beyondtrainingbook.com. So this is your host, Brad Kearns. For our guest, Ben Greenfield, thank you so much for listening to the Primal Blueprint podcast. Safeguard your health with the most comprehensive all-in-one nutritional supplement on the planet. Primal Nutrition's Damage Control Master Formula. 
Forget mixing and matching with multiple bottles of individual agents. Now you can just take a single packet of the most potent and optimally balanced multivitamin, multimineral, antioxidant formula available on the market. You'll enjoy complete immune system, cardiovascular, memory, nerve, bone, liver, and anti-stress support, and much more. With 51 research-proven ingredients, Damage Control Master Formula helps you combat oxidative damage in every cell and every system in your body and shore up any dietary shortcomings with complete protection. Order Damage Control Master Formula today at PrimalBlueprint.com and check out the incredible free shipping offer for our convenient and custom-designed auto-ship program.